Welcome to Rules of the Frame. I am your host, Connor Reed, and here's your other host, John Skinner. I am ambivalent to be here today. (laughs) Listeners, this is how you can gauge how the episode is going to go based on how John responds to the introduction. (laughs) And as you can tell, this is going to be a fun episode. (laughs) I am actually excited about today's discussion, but... um, John's always in for a fight. I'm... Well, you know, there are... Our whole idea with this series is, are you willing to fight for it? And mm-hmm. uh, today's going to test that. Yeah. Because we're actually going to have a fight. Yeah. And for those of you listening in for the first time, we are a film podcast. We pick a subject or theme and explore films related to those topics. Our overall goal is to encourage the general public to view film as more than just a piece of entertainment, but also a piece of art and something to discuss and explore. We are in our Messy Masterpieces series right now, where we are focusing on films that maybe didn't get the credit that they deserved initially, were overshadowed, performed poorly at the box office, or just kind of critically panned. And we're taking another look at them and saying, hey, this is why it's worth it to revisit this film, or why this film might be better than you expected it to be. And it's not usually as neat and tidy of a film as maybe something like the original Alien, but it is still great and has its own merit and its own right. And today we are also joined by Travis Olson. Hey, thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we can't do like a sci-fi film without <laughs> without you in it. Like, <laughs> Travis and I have talked so much sci-fi over the years and I mean, I feel like we really haven't broached the alien universe like as much as like Star Wars or, you know, even just kind of like one-off films and so I'm very excited for this episode. Yeah, me too. All right, so I'm going to start us off with a summary of the film. On a desolate planet, a spaceship lands and drops off a pale humanoid alien who drinks a black serum and dissolves into the water. His molecules merge with others and start to form life. In 2096, two explorers are in a cave and discover a cave drawing of a human worshipping five orbs. Years later, on a spaceship Prometheus, an android named David patrols the ship and watches the dreams of the humans in stasis. They are woken up as they approach a planet. Meredith Vickers addresses the crew and a hologram from their benefactor, Peter Wayland, plays and states that the two main scientists, Shaw and Holloway, are in charge. The two debrief the crew on their cave discoveries and that they are searching for the beings who created humanity. The spaceship enters the planet's atmosphere and they notice a set of domes and choose to land near them. An exploration crew sets out to investigate them after they turn out to be hollow. They wander around in the tunnels and start geomapping them. In a chamber, they discover an atmosphere is being generated and remove their helmets. David discovers some buttons and activates a hologram that leads the crew to a dead alien body. Two crew members get freaked out and decide to head back to the ship. David opens a door to an inner chamber filled with pots and containing the head of the dead alien. David investigates and opens one of the pots and takes it with him. Back on the Prometheus, the captain picks up an incoming storm and tells the crew they need to head back. They bring the head back with them and get back to the ship. The two crew members who separated get lost and are told they need to stay in the dome until the storm passes. One of the probe picks up a life form in the tunnels and then it mysteriously disappears. 
The two men find a worm-like creature that attacks and kills the both of them. On the ship, they test the head and try to animate it with electric shock, but end up blowing it up. The crew is dismayed, and David tampers with the alien pot and draws a black substance from it. He puts it in Holloway's drink, and Holloway meets up with Shaw, and the two make love. The next morning, they can't find any sign of the true crew members left in the cave, so they set out a search party. David splits off to find a malfunctioning probe, but stumbles upon a control room with a living engineer in stasis. The rest of the crew finds the remains of one, and Holloway collapses from the substance he ingested. They bring him back to the ship, but Vickers won't let them on. Holloway then sacrifices himself by walking towards Vickers' flamethrower. Shaw is distraught and collapses. She wakes up on a medical bay, and David tells her she is three months pregnant, which she says is impossible because she's infertile. David tells her it's not a natural fetus and is growing rapidly. She rushes to the med pod and conducts emergency surgery to remove it. Outside the ship, the mangled body of one of the killed crew members returns, reanimated, and kills more of the crew members until they run it over. Meanwhile, the med pod pulls an alien embryo out of Shaw, which bursts and starts flailing around. She slides out of the pod and decontaminates it. She runs down the hall and stumbles upon a room where David is helping the ancient Peter Wayland out of a stasis pod. She confronts him on why he is there, and he says he wants to meet the engineers and see if they can prevent him from dying. They set off to the dome and wake up the engineer. It quickly turns on them by ripping David's head off and killing everyone but Shaw. She escapes through the vents, but the engineer starts up the ship and sets a course for Earth. Shaw tells the captain of the Prometheus that the ship cannot leave or it will spread the disease on Earth. He directs the ship towards the alien juggernaut and Vickers bails before they collide with it. The Prometheus explodes and the alien ship drops back to the surface. Shaw and Vickers run to not be crushed by the ship, but Vickers isn't fast enough. Shaw heads for the lifeboat and discovers that her alien baby has grown up and is contained in the med bay. David tells her that the engineer survived the crash and is heading towards her. The engineer attacks her and she opens the med bay, releasing her alien, which takes down the engineer and impregnates him. Shaw goes back to the alien ship and David tells her he can fly them, and they decide to go out and seek the engineers on their own planet. Back in the med bay, a pre-xenomorph bursts from the chest of the engineer and stands up and displays its pair of second jaws. So my two words for this film, we've kind of been doing something where we give a positive word and a negative word. And my two words for this one are adventurous arrogance, uh, because I just think this movie is so much fun, and it really brings in an element that isn't as apparent in the original Alien film, where the Alien film is more like thriller and horror throughout it. And this one actually has like a really great sense of adventure and discovery, and it's like, oh, wow, this is so fascinating like in some ways it feels like i don't know you're (laughs) like a fanboy like getting to go and explore this world that with with, like the creator of the world as well and so it's just like so fascinating but then it's able to turn on a dime and so quickly become like thriller horror ish and then arrogance too just because I really like a lot of like the philosophical aspects of this film and just kind of like the questions that they wrestle with. But I also understand too that it's it tries to be pretty heady in points. And man, if you watch the deleted scenes and see how much of that they even trim out, you're like, whew, man, this this film could have easily been pretty unbearable. But I think they leave just a, a, the right amount in. But I can see how it would turn people off from this film as well. 
Okay, mine is failed ambition because I think uh, what's good about this movie is like what you said. This this movie tries to answer the big questions and tries to be very philosophical, and it wants to do that while still having fun. Uh, and I think for the first third of this movie, it it sets itself up to succeed, and uh, and we'll get into the details of why later. But I really don't like this movie. Uh, and I think that it fails to, to reach its ambition. And there's almost like the philosophical, like meditative, you know, sci-fi movie that it hints at at moments thematically, but never commits to being. And then there's the, the alien movie that it doesn't really commit to either. And I just think it needs to be one or the other. And all those two, types of movies are sort of fighting all the times and i kind of think they fight to a stalemate and you end up with a a bit of a dud especially considering how they kind of went with the next movie after this but not a huge fan i was disappointed when i first watched it i liked it slightly better this time but i still don't like it my two words uh are life and death this movie is the whole question of it what is the purpose of life (laughs) everyone everyone in it is trying to find a way to live everyone is sort of dealing with the repercussions of being alive whether or not they actually are because like david isn't really alive but he really wants to be but the whole everything that they're messing with destroys all of the i guess the weapons that they find it they create life but first they have to destroy everything and then build it out of what remains. And so there's this... They're trying to live, but in the end, all of them die, pretty much. And there's the whole movie, there's always a tension, depending on what David's up to. <laughs> but who's going to live and who's going to die? And how? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll start us off with uh, Now in Film History, and then we'll get into our discussion. So the original Alien film comes out in the late 70s. Ridley Scott is approached to direct it, and he really takes what could have easily been just kind of a schlocky horror monster flick and really creates something incredible and atmospheric and just so unlike anything and really adding to this new sense of sci-fi that Star Wars kind of started of a much more lived-in sort of universe and really expands upon it. It becomes a huge hit, and... In the 80s, it gets picked up again by James Cameron, who kind of inputs some of his more blockbuster style into it and makes it a bit more of an action movie as well. And since then, the Alien franchise has kind of been this weird balance between both like the horror thriller nature of Scott's Alien film and kind of the action shoot 'em up of Cameron's film. And so that's where it's kind of walked this line and, you know, people just say like this, as the movies go on, they just kind of like deteriorate in quality, even though they have each one of them has like great directors attached to them. It just kind of becomes a corporate mess that gets a lot of just those original ideas really sucked out of it. And then they've been trying to figure out after Alien Resurrection, what are we going to do with this film? And they make like the Alien versus Predator series, which is also like people are just like this is stupid like why is this a thing again it's just a big action movie for the two classic sci-fi monsters to really fight it out 
And then the writer, John Spates, goes in and starts talking with Fox. And they're like, what would you say about like an, an alien film? And so he says, well, I always wondered like, who is the big guy sitting in the chair in the first alien film that has his chest broken open and then just starts going on for about like 40 minutes or so. Then they tell him, oh, that's great. Can you write these ideas down? We're going to send them to Ridley Scott. He's like, well, I don't know if I really want to do that, but since it's Ridley Scott, I'll do it, you know, and it'll just be like kind of a conversation between the two of us. And so he goes and talks to him and Scott loves it. And then soon enough, they get into production on it and it kind of becomes like this alien prequel film that they're trying to figure out. And kind of wrestle with like the different questions that they're wanting to do. What sort of tone are they wanting to go for it? And I can't remember if it's John Spates or John Spates writes the original screenplay for it. And then Scott and Damon Lindelof go in and make revisions. And Damon comes from the background of writing for Lost. And John, at this point, he hadn't done much, but now he's done a ton of sci-fi stuff as well, including the new Dune movie, which is crazy. And (laughs) so, John, you might... (laughs) lessen your expectations now but anyway so they get to work on it they kind of figure out this is kind of the story that they want to go for it of focusing on the engineers and i mean production as we know of kind of goes like pretty smoothly there's a bunch of buzz around it because they're like oh man it's a new alien movie it's the first sci-fi film that really scott's done in 30 years and they're just or excited for this turn to form all sorts of stuff happens with the promotional material. There's this thing that gets that someone posts online. We're like, hey, here's the leaked script. And it's actually just a script that someone else just forged for it. But people are freaking out. And they're like, this movie's going to be terrible. And then the movie comes out. And I mean, it performs okay. But like a lot of critics and like diehard fans don't really like it, saying it's kind of like turned away from the traditional alien series and that it's not what it used to be and kind of almost spits in the face of alien fans but still makes a lot of money so then scott goes on and makes alien covenant as well and i think there's supposed to be another one coming out too but who knows so all right so john i have a question for you or i guess two questions but one is kind of connected with the two and travis this goes to you as well at what age did you see this film and what expectations did you have for it I don't remember exactly when I saw it. I don't think I saw it in theaters. I but I remember watching it a couple years after it came out, maybe a year, not not too long after, and being excited for it or think it's going to be cool. But I definitely didn't see it in theaters. But I remember being excited about it as a not super like not not a huge alien fan, but just knowing that he's good at sci-fi and he's trying it again, I was excited to, to watch it. And when I... F- was that... What was the other question? And what don't you... Or no, what were your expectations for it? Oh, expectations. Yeah. So I I was just sort of not... Ex- I did not have that expectation of, of an alien movie necessarily. But I knew it was a prequel to Alien. And I had a vague... I You know, I had seen Alien, I think, once and had been a while. So like... I sort of remembered some things in this, but that's actually part of why I had a negative reaction the first time I saw it is that I kept trying to connect the dots and I was doing like, I was like, wait, is this the planet from alien? You know, like, is this the planet from alien? Is this the ship from alien? Like, this is the one, the ship that they find from alien. Right. And then at the end, okay, 
that's the alien. But it's not the alien. It's another alien. And it actually doesn't matter at all. Right? It, it goes nowhere. Right? It's on that planet. It's never going to go to another planet. And then and now that the sequel has come out, I think it confirms that there's si- similar things happening that lead to the development of the alien alien. And so that confirms like stuff that as a non huge alien fan, I'm like, okay, kind of making connections that weren't there. And then realizing when I realized I was wrong, it's like, oh, so that didn't matter at all. I liked the first third when I first watched it. I remember liking it. And then about the time when everyone takes their helmets off, I start to really get into sort of cinema sins mode where I'm hypercritical of all these dumb things that if you think about them for two seconds, don't make any sense. And I'm going to try and stay away from that in this episode because watching it again, I I still have problems with it, but I've I've sort of found another level of criticism that's not just, you know, why why does the guy that maps the entire that has the things that map the entire area uh, unable to f- get lost and unable to get out of there when he has clearly has a connection to what they're mapping, but whatever stuff like that I'm not gonna. It, that's the type of thing you're only critical of if you don't like the movie. So I'm not going to get into that too much. All right, Travis, what's your story with this movie? I saw it, oh, I, I guess it was probably sophomore, junior year of college after having watched Alien Aliens. And I think like uh, my film professor recommended it because we were talking about cryo sleep or something he was like oh have you seen prometheus they have like some interesting cryo stuff in there and i was like oh cool mm-hmm. and so i like watched it and i was like there's like three minutes of cryo stuff at the very beginning <laughs> yep uh but yeah i'd heard that it was you know not great so i think i had uh, i didn't really know what to expect but i really it looked like it was going to be cool <laughs> And I really enjoyed, like, Alien and Aliens. But it was just so much different than I expected. And I thought it was... I mean, I love it. <laughs> yeah, like, what did I expect going into it? It was... I wasn't expecting much, but then I was, like, really impressed with the... Uh, I re- really enjoyed the philosophical aspects of it. And sort of this balance between like the main characters there's uh well i forget her name now there's a religious shah shah uh she's like religious and then her husband slash boyfriend i don't remember yeah they're not married it's like very much i well I, yeah until this last time watching it i thought they were <laughs> but he's like religion is bad and just this whole balance between the two of them and then it feels like uh, really, Scott in the background. It's like, well, you know, or there's these a- aliens that made us, and neither of them really matter. <laughs> and uh, just the a- ideas about what humans think about themselves being the most important thing. But what if humans are just like something someone made, just like the things we make and then throw away? Hmm. And it's it's, hmm. it's a movie I think about every once in a while, and it's like, oh, that was. Those are some cool things. <laughs> Lots of ideas in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I mean, my kind of personal thing with this is this is like one of the like 
earlier rated R films that I saw. And like my dad and I rented it. I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't seen Alien yet. But my dad was like, oh, this looks like a cool sci-fi movie. And so we just like watched it. And then like, I mean, I was just blown away by it. But then at the end, I was like, that looks like the alien, like from Alien. And it was just like, is this an alien movie? Like, <laughs> my dad was just like, I don't know. And so I remember like for some reason, my younger brother just kind of read about it. And he was like, no, I remember hearing the director say it's not an alien movie. And I was like, it's definitely an alien movie. <laughs> and like just doing all this like back and forth on this. And yeah, I just remember being like so blown away by like the world and the atmosphere and just kind of like, the moodiness of it again and yeah just the design of everything and just like how different it looked from a lot of other sci-fi movies that I, I I had seen uh or was like watching at the time and really struck too just like how much it kind of reaches back into a lot of especially like 70s and 80s higher sci-fi kind of Philip K. Dick Isaac Asimov inspired worlds where it's not sci-fi just to be fun, but it's sci-fi to ask a question and that this whole film is like just a question of like, you know, what is our purpose? And I think John Spates was saying that like, you know, two of his favorite movies are Alien and Blade Runner. And so he wanted to make this movie a combination between the two, which like, I mean, I can totally see because, you know, Blade Runner is a very slow sci-fi film, but that asks like a lot of big questions and just is, you know, massive in like a a philosophical sort of scope and just like the moodiness of it as well and saying that you know they mirrored scenes from both alien and from blade runner in this and kind of having peter whalen's character basically be the roy batty character of going to the creator to ask for more life and then you know dying because of it and that everyone everyone kind of wonders wants to know what's out there and wants to know what our purpose is for different reasons and like you were saying Travis just like of how you know Shaw's like I just want to know why like we're here like why do they make us and then man if you watch like some of the bonus features like they have like these promotional videos and oh my gosh the Holloway character is just gets so over the top like there's literally one where he's like staring dead into the camera he's like I want to disprove God. I want to destroy every single religion on earth. I want to come back and bring these aliens back and show that everyone is worshiping nothing. And that way I can get rid of it and people can stop wasting their time. And just like, it's so like over the top, like aggressive with it. And I was just like, geez. And he's, he's probably actually my biggest issue with the film. And like, to me kind of keeps it from being, you know, and even more close to like, perfect movie or masterpiece or that sort of thing his yeah i I just don't feel like his character fits in as much yeah i think these type of sci-fi movies a lot of times the secondary characters the the uh the the fill out the cast the fill out the roster make a big difference of whether you not you have positive feelings about it Mm -hmm. coming out of the theater you know and i this movie has really bad hit or miss i mean idris elba's character is kind of great although his accent is weird (laughs) But, uh, but like some of them are really hammy though. And some like Vickers is, mm, I know what you're, tr- they're trying to do, but it was, she comes across as really badly written. And then, uh, yeah, the two guys that get lost are kind of annoying instead of being the bickering odd couple that they're supposed to be. And then he is, Holloway is so annoying. 
and he's in the movie. Like, he's a significant part of the plot, and he's just like, you want him to die. Like, you just <laughs> want him to die. I mean, he's so annoying. I, I'm glad you said that the, it's those two movies, because I definitely sense those two movies kind of fighting for supremacy, and I, I think, you know, my biggest problem with this movie is that you really feel like you have to read a Wikipedia article afterwards to to figure out what happened. And I know that Scott wants to sort of have unresolved questions. That's whole, the whole point of this, right? People want to know, where do we come from? You as the audience wants to know, are we going to find the engineers? You know, like that is driving you as an audience too. And he leaves those questions unresolved, but he doesn't leave them unresolved in a way that's sort of narratively satisfying, I think, like Blade Runner, where he does meet his maker and it's disappointing, but you know it's disappointing. In this movie, the equivalent is he talks, you don't know what happens, and then he goes on a killing spree. And it's like, okay, okay I guess you're saying it doesn't matter, but like, I want to know. You, you leave that scene wanting to know what happened, and you don't. It's not a satisfying, unresolved answer, it's an unsatisfying, unresolved answer. And so I think. They did not stick the landing with that that part. And then I think the alien part, why, I mean, I think this movie is sort of like the black goo, right? There's this black goo, and the black goo is this, this bad habit in movies of making everything an Easter egg about old nostalgic brands from the 80s, right? And, and there is no brave hero to crash their ship into the ship into this movie to prevent it from getting out and the contagion got out and now it's all cinema is this now all cinema is oh look at this reference to this old thing that we did or this old thing it's everything's a reference and it's like this movie would be so much better if it just committed to not being an alien movie because it does these weird references where it's like this is a callback to alien but it's in the alien universe so it's like oh is that the alien no it's not the alien does it matter is it going to be the next step in the evolution towards the alien? No. <laughs> like, it just kind of looks like an alien. And it's supposed to be a good kicker to the movie. And I think that thinking that that is a good ending kind of points to the problems that this movie has. It doesn't understand that that is not a good way to do a callback or a way to reference alien with some ambiguity. See, I actually really like that. I get what you're saying, that... One of my least favorite things in movies nowadays is just like people kind of like bumping something and then something from like the original film will show up and everyone's kind of like, what? You know, and then it stays on that for like 10 seconds. And then just like, I hate that sort of like fan service stuff. But I actually really appreciate the level of this film. I mean, you know, I hadn't seen like an alien film, but that it's not something like intensely obvious where they're not doing something like, you know, tipping your nose off like, oh, this is the thing from the original movies, you know, and to try to get you amped like that. It doesn't do any cheap sort of trick like that, but that it does try to be its own movie too and not just like stringing along to have to like, every set piece has to set up perfectly so that way the alien film can happen. You know, like it doesn't have to do like that play-by-play sort of thing of like, oh, this is how it crashed out of the ship. This is how the engineer in the pilot seat got a chest burster and like that sort of thing that it doesn't feel like any of that pressure, but, you know, really can be a standalone film outside of it. Like if you really, basically if you just cut off that end scene of the alien bursting out of him, 
it wouldn't i mean yes it would be an alien movie but it's not it wouldn't be like i feel like that obvious of an alien movie in a sense i think they don't do enough to be different though so like i was confused watching this as an audience member thinking that this was the same planet as alien that's me not being a huge fan but still it's this weird mix between not a reference and a callback that in this movie does avoid the kind of prequel problem where everything ties neatly back into itself and then when you actually look at the universe once the prequel has been made you're like actually everyone from the original movie did all the things in the prequel and it's bad (laughs) and i the alien covenant does that so i think that problem does exist in the prequels as a unit this movie at least at the beginning avoids that problem but doesn't clearly delineate that it's not referencing it's not creating tiebacks to the original in the plot, I guess. But yeah, if you did get rid of that last scene, it would be that would that's a big part of the problem because it is placed there like it's important and it's not. I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing that they that the first time you're watching it you think that it's the planet from Alien and that it this is like the ship and this is like the pieces. I think that's kind of on purpose. And that's sort of... Like, there is a bit of a tension with that. Where you ha- there's a place where you expect it to go. And since they, it's completely different, the movie allows itself to keep having twists that you don't see coming. But how do you know it's not? Like, it doesn't feel like it's they're playing off of expectations, though, because, like... I had to clarify after this, okay, was it the alien? Was it this? Like you said, Creed, you did it too. Like you had to go check it out because it, it's not like it plays with expectations. I guess if you are a big alien fan, I guess is there a moment in the movie where it's like, oh, it's not the alien planet or no, it's not this. I mean, I think the part when they blow up the alien ship is sort of. There's it, like you oh, have that's... to be looking. You do have to know alien in a, in a sense to know that it's not alien i mean first off that i mean the atmosphere that you can actually see things because whenever they land on the ship or on the planet an alien everything like you can't see anything and that's like a problem for the crew is like they're like oh we can't like take off because we didn't see this rock that we accidentally landed on um but there's like subtle things where uh the fact that that this is a very small thing but that the name of the planet is different than the name of the planet in alien I mean, no one's really going to know that. The fact that the engineer and the engineer leaves and doesn't have a chest burster within him in the the seat, that's a big thing. The fact that you don't see like those domes anywhere in there, the fact that like yeah, just like the placement of stuff just kind of seems wrong that there isn't like the eggs, but it's like these vases instead. So, mm-hmm. I I think those like more sort of subtle things kind of give it away cuz I remember seeing alien and then going back and watching prometheus to figure out I'm like oh it's not the same place yeah it's not one of my bigger complaints but my my problem is that they kind of decide to not do that and then they but then the the mechanics of some of these things are so confusing that they don't build tension you mentioned the goo i still don't understand how the goo works i i now know how it works as a weapon but I don't understand why are they leaking out of the thing? 
they change the atmosphere, I guess, but it's it's just it's not clearly explained, and so it, the tension is sort of vague. Like this stuff's dangerous, but then it was fine. And okay, one of the biggest criticisms people have of this movie, and I think it's it does annoy me, but it actually doesn't end up mattering to the plot is taking their helmets off, right? The helmet taking the helmets off is so mind-bogglingly stupid, but it's supposed to build tension, I guess, because we know that this stuff is dangerous, I guess, and they don't. But the black goo, it's just confusing. And so I don't think it's... Those parts are supposed to sort of build building like, okay, you know, this is going to cause a problem at some point, which you know because they find these dead guys. But the threat isn't as real because the rules of the game are not clear enough. And so it, it's sort of just, okay, they've died now. And rewatching it helped a little bit. But that combined, the fact that they don't set up the rules well enough, combined with the fact that people then act in ways that makes no sense, like all of a sudden being fine with the worm, right? Instead of running like heck when they ran like heck for a hologram, right? The the inconsistent characterizations combined with the inconsistent rules really makes for like a, that middle third of the movie is just confusing. And it doesn't build tension like I think the movie wants it to be building tension. Hmm. Okay, so I have a couple points towards that. And one, I will say this is in like kind of the flaw of the movie itself, but Travis, do you have the Blu-ray of this movie? Yeah. Okay. Do you have the one that has like the second disc with like the all the special features and all that? No. Oh, okay. So you're going to want to get this because honestly... This is just nerd talk right now. This is one of the greatest Blu-ray sets I've ever seen. Um, I found like the 3D one that has like the film in 3D and then film on Blu-ray and then the special features on Blu-ray and then it's on DVD for like super cheap. And there's literally a three and a half hour documentary making of this. That is one of the greatest like look into how you make a movie like honestly what it reminds me of is like lord of the rings bonus features where it's just so in depth with everything it is astounding so if you were wanting a schooling on how to make uh, a sci-fi film you need to watch this because it is amazing just like it goes into like the tiniest detail of even showing like how they made the little like honeycomb and black goop that the engineer drinks at the beginning you know like all of these different things and talking about like geeker's designs and like the concept art like how much like pre-production they did the post-production the marketing like every single aspect of this is covered it's phenomenal you have to check it out but so there's a lot of there's also i mean on the the blu-ray there's a commentary by ridley scott and then a commentary by the two screenwriters and both are fascinating ridley's is hilarious i'll talk more about it later but it's really interesting hearing the screenwriters talk about it. And you can also watch all of like the deleted scenes. But the screenwriters all throughout, they're like, oh, this, there was a scene that I wrote to kind of explain this later on, but we decided it wasn't necessary, so we cut it out. And so there's kind of this weakness that happens, but it's also a strength too. Because on the bonus features, whenever they're talking with the editor, <laughs> the editor is saying like, whenever they made the first cut of the film, that it was like, two and a half hours long or something like that. And like, this is good. It can still be shorter though. So they do another cut of it. Like the rough cut was two and a half hours and they were expecting it to be like three or three and a half. And 
so they do another edit of it and he cuts off like 15 more minutes and then they show it. He's like, oh, it's good, but I can still cut out more of it. And then so they cut off another 15 minutes. And so I get it down to the time that it's at right now. And when you go through and if you watch the bonus features, aside from maybe two scenes, you're like, this was so smart that they cut this out. This would have just been so over the top on the film and really displays some of like the, you know, those like exposition moments where they're like, oh, well, we have to put the scene in to kind of explain this character trait later or this little thing. And so like, John, like you were saying for like the two guys walking around that they're like, oh yeah, we had the scene in there where it's the two of them walking around and, you know, just getting lost because one was arguing like, oh no, my map says to go over here. And then the other guy's like, no, that, you know, I know we went this way and then arguing and then getting lost because of them just like arguing, wasting too much time in the tunnels, which I'm like, yeah, we don't, we don't need that. Like doesn't make the most logical sense. And then there's like another scene where the biologist guy finds like a worm and he's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And is just so excited to like mess around with it. And they're like, that was kind of supposed to be the explanation of like why he was so eager to touch like the other alien and which is still just like, no, I mean, that thing is horrifying. (laughs) Yeah. He's a xenobiologist, right? He's supposed Mm -hmm. to know a threat display, an obvious threat to, you know. Yeah. If this dude knows freaking snakes, he would know that's a bad sign. Like, (laughs) But again, I'm not trying to, we're not, I'm not trying to like, those are things that pe- bother people. It bothers me, but it bothers me because I don't like the movie otherwise. Right. It's a CinemaSin re- thing. It's a CinemaSin thing, yeah. The reason I don't like the movie is that it tries to answer these big questions and just doesn't... It almost seems like it loses interest in them by the end. And I part of it, Scott has this weird combination of I want to... Ha- it seems like he wants to be this big philosophical movie but also he's a very much a pragmatic filmmaker and everything is kind of to the point he's not going to meander around things and he has a message he wants to get across which is if you're searching for meaning there is no meaning and all you're doing is creating you know things that are going to kill humans right it's very cynical david is ultimately the destruction of a lot of life Right, because we 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 went too far and we tried to create something, right? But not in in this no, movie. No, he's, not. he's not in this movie. He's uh-uh. almost like the most human of all the characters, because mm-hmm. everyone else is very distracted with like their agenda. Like this is what I need to do, and David is there, just sort of living. Like the montage at the beginning where he mm-hmm. is like. Oh, just sort of keeping so track good. of the ship. He goes and plays some like basketball. He watches Lawrence of Arabia. He's like, uh, I I put it together finally this time that he's modeling himself everything he does after mm-hmm. Lawrence. Yep. And he he wants this so badly, and that's all of his conversations with Vickers. It's always she's like, "You're not real," and he's sort of like but Wayland likes me. <laughs> yeah. And they, they never they never say as much because yeah. they no, both yeah. know it and you can sort of tell. But even, mm. yeah, it, and Wayland, he's so proud of, he's created David, but then he never calls David his son either. And that is what David wants the most, to be seen as an equal by Wayland. 
So this is going beyond the scope of this movie. But that ending, I think, is if Scott creates this somewhat hopeful ending, right? Like they're, they're going to go find the people that created they're going to go find the engineers right that's the that's the hope is it's yet another thing just like humans and just like the engineers creating something scott has created something that he then discards immediately after that right and so that's what's so interesting about this movie is i think a lot of people had the opposite backlash to it than i did and then it created the sequel that was more of an alien movie and kind of kills some of what you guys are saying you liked about this movie so did you guys not like alien covenant the first time i saw it i loved it and then i watched it again and realized that i had sort of inferred about an hour worth of drama (laughs) (laughs) and so watching it i was like oh it's just action the whole time if there was another hour of just like character development this would be amazing like all of the david scenes yeah the david scenes are just like the crew just talking to each other because it just moves it just there's an alien it comes it kills someone they don't they barely even react to the alien coming and then they Mm go they just move to the next thing and then david is making all these mad experiments and then more people die and then the alien is there i enjoy it but it's you know definitely not as fun i think there's this tension with scott when he when he deals with faith because he is he is very mm-hmm. much skeptical and has a negative feeling about faith but then he almost has this desire to he's curious about people that do have faith and so yes. he's like he wants to show people having this faith but ultimate it's like he, you know Shaw is a more uh, well-realized character than I think you would expect Scott to be able to create mm-hmm. given his beliefs but then ultimately the plot kind of deadens that by killing people be like oh yeah you you believe this well you're gonna die you know wayland okay you you think this you're gonna die and it's not it there's always a clunkiness to it that you don't get in blade runner right there's a beauty to that that message in blade runner and sadness to it because i think there's more clarity and i think when he interacts with this issue it just you can tell he wants to i just don't think he's he has the capability of engaging in this film in a way that that lands i think this watching it this time one of like the meanings of the movie that i took away was believing in something is important Mm -hmm. especially uh sort of comparing how shaw and holloway interact and when they find the dead alien holloway just falls apart and he's like, there's nothing here. This whole mission is meaningless and pointless. Uh, which is weird because he's a uh, archaeologist, but yeah, he just it's so, gives up yeah. on everything at that point. But Shaw is like, well, but there's still something to learn. We can still learn something. And she believes but that there is something to be there. And the thing that turns him around, though, is whenever she's like, their DNA is the same as ours. And that's when he's like, oh, my gosh, you know, freaks out because he was wanting to see them alive to know that they created humanity because he says, like, I want to talk to them. And then whenever there's the scene in the bedroom with them and he's like, no, we failed. And she's like, nope, I did a scan. Their DNA is the exact same as ours. And that's whenever he gets like elated. And then he dies. And then he dies. <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm rejuvenated. Death. 
I'm not saying it's bad that everyone dies, but like, it just, it seems like, you know, yeah, he's sort of saying it's important to believe in something, but then he also has this cynicism where, I mean, Chad does not survive, ultimately. Again, beyond the beyond the scope of this movie, but I think if I had rewatched this movie and Alien Covenant did not exist, I think I might have tricked myself into liking this movie more and maybe mm-hmm. even liking it. Maybe, maybe. But knowing that any of these sparks that started in this movie, in this imperfect movie, have been snuffed out as narrative threads sort of makes me like, okay, well, this was a sort of a pointless exercise then somewhat. And I guess you guys think it's a messy masterpiece. So what do you think, mm-hmm. Travis, what do you think's messy about it? What do you think is messy about this masterpiece? Um, I think that it's, yeah, I would agree. The end just sort of, the end especially is pretty uh, fast <laughs> where there's sort of the alien appears and all of a sudden they've, she's, either fixed David or carried him and his body like 500 meters to the next thing and then they explored it all and they got the ship it's just like boop we're just leaving and like that's it it does sort of just jump around when it's not when doesn't have something to actually do (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that also okay so this is going again into like the deleted scenes and all that because in this movie the engineers like are supposed to talk like mm-hmm. the there's the opening sequence whenever the the main engineer like sacrifices himself. There's supposed to be this whole like ceremony going on where there's like maybe 10 not supposed other... to be, but there was. There was. There was. Yes, that was. They filmed it. Like you can see mm-hmm. all of the stuff of this. And... No, no, no. It is no, no, no. It is supposed to be. It's not in the movie. And again, I can't be that critical because I'm pulling <laughs> the sequel in here. But like, it's not in the movie. Yeah. So are we saying that what makes it messy is that they didn't leave some of the stuff that makes no, 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 some no. of the stuff no. make sense in? I'm, I, so this, this is what I'm saying, that it was an improvement that they took it out. Because there's all this dialogue between the two of them, and then at the confrontation with the engineer at the end, they're, like the engineer talks to David. Like There's all this back and forth. And just like seeing him like move and talk just like takes away any sort of the mystery of it and um there's supposed to be this whole thing where he's like or there was this whole thing that they filmed where he's like talking to david and then whenever shaw and david are the only two left she's like i want to know i want to know what they were saying and there's like this whole added like 10 minutes which is like why you're saying the end is so fast of like her walking and talking to david and david being like they said they came from paradise and she's like well i want to know i want to know what this paradise is that they're going to and i want to find and like all of this like exposition to like even more so set up a sequel, like a direct sequel to this. And it is so good that they cut all of it out. Like you can, if you watch the deleted scenes, you can see all that stuff and you're like, this does not work at all. And it is great that they cut it out. That sounds pretty, that sounds like that would tie into her childhood and would tie into where they were going though. They might not have done it well in that specific deleted scenes, but it feels like it needs something like that. To, to, to yeah I mean it does tie back maybe. to like what her dad says at the beginning of the movie but it like at least watching the deleted scene it feels pretty forced and it's like but what what are you trying to say by throwing that out now at the end of the movie 
I agree with like Connor that all the deleted scenes should have been deleted, but there's interesting bits of like thoughts and like ideas within them. And I, I think that the like t- that whole scene is sort of the way that it's cut and maybe they had a different line reading of David, but he it sounds like he's gonna kill her mm-hmm. in the in the deleted scene. Just the way that he like sort of talks to her on the radio and it doesn't i mean without actually having the clip it doesn't make any sense uh on a podcast yeah (laughs) but there's this like just the way it's put together it's like oh he's gonna kill her as soon as they Mm -hmm. get on the ship or whatever right i mean i mean he does he he does but we didn't know that when this movie came out In, Mm -hmm. in no in the final cut of prometheus it's a very hopeful, like, they're going to go and, yes. like, see the stars together. and I think that's the core of why I don't like this movie, right? Is that I don't like movies that hint at adventure, hint at exploration, that, that, that say that this instinct to go is so good and then so cynically cut it down. And the, and the reason I say that is just generally, right? It's not generally that the people that have this hope and this this drive to go out die that's the problem. It's that when they die it's almost like Scott being so cynical and like we have to we have to, you know, they're going to die, but doesn't really set it up in a way where it seems like it has impact. It's just you know, he went away to his home planet type of thing, right? Like the Simpsons thing. Like it's it's it feels like that we, they had to get to that point of everyone actually ends up dying cuz that's the way the world is and not but then tonally still t- telling the story of hope and that, that, that there's a disconnect there where in it, you know, there's a way to do this type of movie where people's hopes get cut down time by over and over and over. And like, it really is meaningful. These characters, how they die, especially to like the bluntness of it, everything like that. And it just, because the mechanics of the story are so muddled, I think that ability to do that is just not there in this film. But that's like the whole like Prometheus like side of things of just like reaching so high and reaching towards the gods to obtain this sort of thing and then kind of having to face the punishment for it. And just like how, I mean, in some ways it kind of relates back to like 80s horror where it's like almost a moral tale in some sense where it's like, oh, you do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. And like, exactly. like all, all of all of the crew members who like, you know, are like just in it for like the greed and for the money die because of that. And then like, you know, the like uh, Yannick and the two other crew members like heroically sacrifice themselves. But then like there's a lot of other elements where it kind of devolves into that. And the fact that the two most greedy people are the ones to die first and then Holloway dies. And then, you know, it's just kind of a series of events, but also like the overcoming of it as well like all of the stuff that Shaw goes through and of having like to me oh my gosh the scene with her and Holloway and just like her line reading of like I can't produce life is like incredible and it's just like oh you know that's like one of those like clicking moments where you're like I get it and like I get her character now and I get like all of these different, you know, sorts of pieces to it as well. But then like how, you know, nightmarish that turns then all of a sudden. And I mean, I think in some ways it's just kind of like almost like a craft in 
the way that they handle sort of the horror elements because and if you listen to the commentary of the writers john spate says like how it originally the alien piece was supposed to come in was like whenever the holograms are running through the hallway uh holloway falls into like this little cavern and then a haste a face hugger jumps on him there and that's how he's brought back into the ship and then the the scene in the bedroom between him and shaw it's like that's when the chest burster was supposed to come out of him and that sort of thing and so it's just like eh, you know like i and then it would just be loose on the ship and then it'd just be alien all over again yeah i think this you're describing what the movie's trying to do i just don't think it it executes it that's why i think they just start with a okay right some of these characters you know what they're supposed to be they're supposed to be greedy but i think some of the side characters are really hammy and Mm -hmm. and 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 don't really feel real because they're kind of poorly executed characters but that a is ultimately fine you set up the characters and their different vices or whatever and then c where you know obviously death is indiscriminate so they're all going to die in some way right but the beginning to be the logic there for a lot of these individual threads falls apart and and is distracting right yes ultimately those guys in the in the the base that get lost are going to die but like the way that they act on the way to dying is so distracting because they've deleted some of these scene those that one scene because they wrote it the way they wrote it that it just takes you out of it and so I think the execution just is not there. So this is why I'm arguing it's not a messy masterpiece because it feels like so many self-inflicted wounds and the movie you guys are seeing is not the movie I'm seeing. So in terms of like, if I thought they executed it well, yeah, it's pretty great what they're trying to do. I just, I think their ambition is so far beyond their grasp in this but, movie. Okay, and, so so this is the, this is the thing that I, I was wondering and like kind of alluding to with the first question. So, what were you hoping for this movie to be? Like in a perfect scenario, what would this movie have entailed? You don't even have to like list plot elements or anything, but just like what would this film have contained for you to like like it? Like, would you rather have had some stuff cut out or some more stuff added? This is why I'm not calling it a messy masterpiece is that I can't answer that question all that effectively. A third of the way through the movie, I think I'm on board with what they're trying to do, and I don't know how it's going to end, right? And maybe the ending is exactly the same that it is as what we get. I just feel like there's a gaping middle there uh, that from the very end, ending being hopeful, right, to being paid off somehow in the future, to where they start at the beginning, I I can't even begin to answer what I would do differently because it just feels like the movie so completely loses its way that I can't put the pieces back together. We can't say, man, if the the suits at corporate hadn't cut out this scene or like, it's just not great. It's not great the way it gets there. And, and so that's my answer is that I can't sit here and put it, put it together in a way that's satisfying. I'm not going to say, Oh, I, I needs to be this or it's good. It's like, it needs to, but is is like your your problem with it the fact that it, it balances back and forth between kind of being this like philosophical sci-fi film and then like a kind of traditional horror alien film? Like, would you have totally kind of cut out the philosophical side of things and just had the horror tone all the way through it? Mm-mm. I would love this movie to commit completely to the philosophical side of things. Mm. I think the problem is what you you kind of get the worst of both worlds because you have the pacing of of a meandering philosophical movie with the plot points 
of an alien horror film and these sharp moments of violence, but they're spaced out so you don't have a building of tension. So narratively, it doesn't serve the function that typically that violence serves in an alien-type movie. So, uh, But then you don't have this sort of slow build. The Village is another... I actually consider that fairly similar to this where you're sort of expecting horror, maybe, and instead you get slow pacing. But that just works for me. The pieces come together. The atmosphere, the music, the characterizations, even with the flaws, to me, that movie, even knowing the ending, works. That's why I, I categorize it this way, right? Is that the, the, it works so the flaws stick out a lot, and that's the discussion we have. Whereas this is just like, it doesn't work for me. Knowing the ending, it didn't work for me. Not knowing the ending, it didn't work for me. Knowing the plot, it didn't work for me. And I think it's because... They don't really engage with those ideas. All these discussions we're having about how it engages with the ideas, you're all, we're always having to pull, well, if you look this up or you, you see what Scott said, it's like, put that in the movie. Maybe not that scene, but like put, I want that answer when I walk out of the theater and it doesn't feel like I get those answers, even no answer. I don't feel like I get the ambiguity clearly enough, if that makes sense, like, I want an answer or I want you to say there are no answers, right? But this weird wishy-washy of like, wait, is this hopeful? Is it a hopeful ending or is there a threat from the alien? Like you just, you just not clear what happened hmm. at the end. And I, so I still think the pieces come together. Uh, Travis wants gonna... to d- defend his movie. <laughs> no, I was, I was going to sort of agree with you that the, uh, I think especially the logic of how the goo works doesn't entirely work in this movie or i i haven't figured it out because Mm -hmm. then in covenant they like explain all of it but even using that logic coming back to this movie it's like but where does it kill and where does it like make life because like the mute the worms Mm -hmm. grew but then uh holloway dies but then he impregnates uh, Shaw, and she doesn't die. And it's like just. But she would. She. Yeah. I think she but would have I, died it, if it, she hadn't taken it out. Then. Yeah, but she yes, doesn't. But die it creates life. That... It creates life. Yeah. I think you're right, Travis. Is that it needs to either have a logic to it so you understand what the threat is, or like the alien be this like eldritch horror, like incomprehensible beyond the universe darkness that is just this never ending threat. But you kind of get this weird goo that people are in the room with, with their helmets off and are fine. But then if you like, it just, there needs to be all logic or just like beyond comprehension evil. That's like the cycle because it, it makes like the face hugger first, you know, and then, the xenomorph comes afterwards. Uh, no, there's no logic to how the goo works. It like it it if the worms I think the worms mm-hmm. are the problem for me. Because uh the the engineers they like drink it and they die. Shaw drinks or not Shaw, Holloway drinks it and he dies. Um the worms probably ate it, but they get bigger. Or did the worms die and those are the facehuggers that grew out of the worms? 
but I guess that that's that's like a whole mm-hmm. other different reach of like <laughs> definitely not in the movie. I think it would be okay for this to be the super weapon that just does all these horrible things, right? It creates all these you know alien style monsters, but they don't ultimately they walk around without their helmets around it. Some of them t- almost are touching it, and like it doesn't actually affect them that much. And so it's not clear. It's not clear mm-hmm. when it's a but threat. See, and when it's, it's like not when you ingest the, the goo. That's whenever it becomes a problem, though. It's not being in the same room as the goop. That's the problem. Because like the, I think not to be gross, but it matters on like point of entry how it affects you. Because the fact that like her, you know, Holloway just starts decomposing, which is what happens to the head because it had like the goop in it. You know, like and that's why it like explodes and you see like the black goop kind of like running out of it, but. If you if you like ingest it, that's when I think it makes like almost more of like a chest burster and like so it kind of shoots out of you, but because like it didn't get into Shaw through like lungs or anything like that, but then instead like basically became a baby because it wasn't the purified version of the goop. But but does this feel like something that either is an un I think we can both agree it's not an alien type threat, right? It's not this dread because it doesn't it it seems to be more contained like a bi- biological weapon in a in a unit, you know. But that's why everyone died is because like it escaped and that's why like the the chamber was kind of like cryo compressed. You know. Well, that I think that's the problem is that it's so alien. It's so alien that it's not clear. Okay, it's there's a biological leak, but then the guy fa- falls in with his face, and then he gets transformed. But that's then you the can one that confuses it. me. Yeah, that's the one. That, so the I think that they needed to be clearer or less clear, if that makes sense. Like they needed to go one way or the other with this. And I think it would have been better to have logic to it because it is a biological weapon. It's it's supposed to be the more rational mm-hmm. basis for what ultimately creates the alien mm-hmm. in the end, right? Um, which I think is a problem, prequel issue, right? Because the alien is supposed to be this monster of evolution, basically, out in the dark parts of the universe. Instead, it's Lawrence of Arabia made it with some <laughs> weapons that he found. Like... <laughs> So, I do think those parts of mm-hmm. Covenant are really interesting. All mm-hmm. of his like evolutionary experiments and all the different phases of like testing that he does to try to make mm-hmm. the perfect specimen. Because I feel uh, like that's why they're so like Wayland is so the corporation is so interested in it for like the following alien films and why they don't just like destroy it is because he's like, Oh, this is like a crazy thing that we can just mess with and create like a super weapon. And that's why, you know, in each of the films, there's always a directive to keep it safe and like bring it back and that sort of thing. And that's kind of what's funny to me is Mm. that he found the super weapon. They found the super weapon and then he goes and takes it, kills a planet with it. And is like, you know what I'm going to do is make (laughs) a really dangerous animal. And it's like, well, you had a thing that could do that more effectively than you could ever do. And so now you're trying to create through breeding the perfect animal that's reliant on hosts to breed. And so it's like, it just, the movie is supposed to be like David reaching the cosmos and creating this 
horrible thing, but it's like actually he's playing in the shadow mm-hmm. of what the engineers have created. But in in actual terms, but the movie seems Scott seems to want us to believe that the alien is this perfect creature, and I just don't buy mm-hmm. it once we've seen the goo. I guess once the goo is explained. You guys need to listen to the Ridley Scott commentary because it is both hilarious and fascinating. I, I can't tell, like, yeah, what what kind of his pride level is towards this because there's throughout he's like, oh, look at this great thing that we made. Oh, this is so great. And, like, keeps on saying that. But then he also provides, like, this really hilarious look into Ridley Scott's mind where the scene whenever Vickers and Shaw are running away from the croissant that's, like, rolling around and it's like falling towards them and it's falling towards Vickers he's like oh look this part's really nasty oh she's gonna get crushed ah crunch and like that's like the scene and so now it's like I can never take that scene seriously again knowing that that's what's going through Ridley Scott's mind when he thinks of it but one thing I feel like we have to talk about and that this is honestly the thing that makes it a masterpiece for me is just the practical effects in this movie. And that is just some of the greatest practical effects and just like sci-fi designs I've ever seen in my life. The fact, I always remember seeing the engineers and being like, how do they look so good? Like, is it CG? And the fact that it's all like makeup and like prosthetics, I think just makes it look so good and helps it to hold up. And just like that, there are actual sets and that there's, very little 3D. Like, if again, if you watch the behind the scenes on this and you see, like, that they actually built these, like, giant chambers and these giant, like, sets for the Prometheus and, like, all of these other elements. And I think that's why it still looks so good is because even though there is a lot of CG in this movie, the fact that, like, the xenomorph at the end is, like, you know, 90% a puppet, the the hammer, the, the worms, those are puppets, you know? Like, it's incredible that the stuff that they're able to do with this. And it's just, like... Oh, man, like, I just wish that, you know, more people like who are making sci-fi movies would see this and like have it just the fact that like they they use like the puppet to animate the worms is like one of the most fascinating things to me because it's like a movement that looks so like natural that you're like, oh, I bet it's like CG. But when you see like these like wirings that they give to it, you're like. What? You know, just because there's so much, like, if you look back at the original Alien and see, like, how limited, especially the chestbursters movements are, like, literally how it just kind of, like, shakes as it wiggles across, like, the table. And, like, the slithering effects that they can give it and just, like, all of these different things are just astounding. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts towards that, Travis, or even the Giger designs or anything like that. It's interesting that it says that like it's there are so many uh, mm-hmm. like practical effects, and you can tell, um, but there's also like thirteen hundred visual effects. Yes, and I I think it's a really interesting like it's a really good blend of the two. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of places where, especially at the beginning when they're like flying over all the mountains and stuff. And I was watching. It's like I don't mm-hmm. that can't be real. But that don't quite feel like yeah. they could have pulled that off in 2012. Uh, and I was sort of like looking it up a bit, and it was like half and half. They took aerial photography and then they blended mm. it with 3D. And I think it, yeah, it works for the movie. The the blend that they have, 
I really like it. Yeah. I mean, one of the most interesting things to me is like whenever Fifield, the guy who gets his like face melted, whenever he comes back as like this weird kind of alien form that they had actually made this completely digital version of him and shot the scene like Weta did. And it looks like one of the goblins from The Hobbit. It's really weird. Like, especially the mouth and the eyes look exactly like one of the, the goblins from that. But uh, the fact that they saw the both of them and like whenever they're shooting on set, they're like, let's just put them in makeup just, you know, kind of as like a template. And then that they didn't care like, oh, that they had like spent all this time and money on the CG version that doesn't look anywhere near as good. And that just like the prosthetics version looks better and just decided to go with that. Like, I'm like, that's great. Like, I feel like so many directors are like, well, we spent all this money on it. I know it doesn't look 100%, but I guess we got to go with it. And I mean, I think that's that that's a testament to Scott's audacity as well. Yeah, I, I think it looks great. I just it's part of why that middle middle third plus sort of disappoints me is that you stop exploring the universe for a little bit. This part I try to not make everything positive and negative, but like that middle part where a movie where it sort of drags uh what makes this movie so great is the practical effects when you're in the claustrophobic spaces, right? The creatures coming after you and all that stuff. Or the shots of outdoors and the space and the planet. And that middle part, you don't get either one, right? And you don't really get that much build up towards the monsters. And so you kind of just sags for a while because, you know, you're just walking around the ship. Like, you're not exploring anything new. And I think that's sort of why i don't love it because it's i want it to be more of an exploring movie and or more of a claustrophobic alien horror which i know is what everyone else wants mm. but it kind of just does neither for most for that one you know you get the great setup and then you don't get that you don't do the only for a while. practical thing that does not work for me is Wayland's aging makeup oh man this is the this is the thing. I watch this. It's so. like, why does Guy Pierce play him? I know he's plays. I plays a young self in all that. I I swear to. If the answer is, well, you have to watch the extras because there's all these videos of TED no, Talks. It doesn't make like, sense. No, it it's not in the movie. Sense. I agree he's, with you. It's I, really I, stupid. They shouldn't have done that. It should be an old guy. They yeah, because they they planned him for this like his like dreaming sequence, and I'm like, that's stupid. You don't cast an actor on that. Just hire a younger actor for that part and then you don't have to do the old age makeup but also like how old do you how old is he supposed he is? to be like vickers <laughs> is so young what how is he she hurt his daughter oh wait no he i mean sorry john but in the behind the <laughs> scenes he looks like he's maybe in his mid-30s yeah, no he does and that's 70 years before so i guess he's like a hundred but he looks much older he looks decrepit <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a mistake it is it's funny because i think that's the big twist right when you first watch it and then this, watching it again it does not hold up because it's like yep that's clearly what's happening here like there is no it's not hidden very well at all like did you talk to him like it's clearly Wayland you talk mm-hmm. like it's clearly him he's why is he in the movie why is he at cast as a famous actor if he's not going to be in it right so like should have just got richard attenborough to do that role <laughs> that'd be great that part does not work and it's just not all that dramatic and they're trying to set him up as another player in this seeking something you know Mm -hmm. she's seeking the beyond 
for for selfless reasons somewhat, right? Faith and 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 adventure and 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 discovery. Whereas he's doing it all for selfish reasons. We get it, but his character's so wrapped up in that twist and that makeup, and neither works. And so I think it kind of just mm. that, and then the the scene with the alien that isn't clearly unresolved enough too. So I think his whole plot line doesn't work. I mean, I just like. I'm like, why did they just decide to make him that old? You know, like, I, <laughs> no. I mean, I know it just came out, but one of the things I, I praise for old is just that it does really subtle aging makeup and that it's like, it's never just this jump where you're like, that doesn't look like a real person anymore, which is how I feel towards Waylon's character. I'm like, he doesn't look like a real person. Like, who is that? Like, just wrinkly and just, I, there's so much to it. Where I'm like, they could have just like, Thinned out his hair, made it gray, give him a couple wrinkles here or there. Like, why does he have to be a hundred years old? Having someone a little younger, clearly decrepit, though, would be more effective sign that he's on death's door because he looks so old and then he's able to walk with assistance, but he's able to walk and he doesn't look that bad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it really undermines how he's supposed to be on death's door. You're like, all right, he's got a, he's, he's puffy, like... Whatever. Like, he doesn't seem... She's like, oh, if you go in there, you're going to die. And it's like, take, like, an all-terrain, like, wheelchair or something like that. You've got you got to have a hover chair. Like, you've made that. You can do something so you don't have to walk there. Yeah, I know. It's... I love the movie, but that is that is a thing that does really... That's one of the really messy points for me in this movie. I think we're not that far apart on this. I mean, I obviously don't like it, but... Again, this is just refining our definition of messy masterpiece, right? Mm-hmm. For me, a messy masterpiece has to there. There's a heart to it, right? And I just don't sense the heart to this movie is not the part that I like. So it's like, yeah, it's technically well done and beautiful at parts, and yeah, but it's like, you know, the heart. It does. It doesn't seem like an author or an artist fighting against something and 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 trying to create their vision. It's just he got what he wanted and he he tripped, you know, is what it feels like for me. I'm I'm also like Wayland is definitely just like Jeff Bezos slash Elon Musk, where it's like you could use your immaculate wealth and technology to save the rest of mankind, but you just wanted to go to space. Well, almost, almost, almost to space. space. Depends on whose definition. (laughs) Do we throw Richard Branson in there too? There's nothing. Okay, I will say Richard Branson's been doing the work at yeah, least. No, he's, he's been. He's a bit better. I, you know, he's been been putting the putting the work in. That's what the point of being wealthy is, right? Is to spend billions and billions of dollars so that you can do something that the Soviet Union did seventy years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, should we move on to our trivia and challenge? Yeah. Okay. Question number one. What was the original title for the Prometheus sequel slash what became Alien Covenant? A. Icarus B. Alien Paradise Lost C. Inferno or D. Alien Horizons It's not Icarus. I hope it's not Icarus. That would be... I'm going to vote Icarus. I'm going to vote Paradise Lost. It's Alien Paradise Lost. Yep. That was the worst one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what's so weird about scott is that he's like using all these religious terms but he's like yeah this sounds cool but he, he doesn't have 
He, he hates it. <laughs> Alien orthodoxy. <laughs> Alien Nicene Creed. <laughs> Alien Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number two. Which of these directors hasn't directed an alien film? A, David Fincher. B, Jean-Pierre Jeunet. C, Paul W.S. Anderson. Or D, Robert Rodriguez. And the Alien versus Predator movies are technically counted in this. They're not canon anymore, though. That's for sure. <laughs> Anderson. Yeah. As incorrect, it is Robert Rodriguez. He directed Predators, okay. or Predator, Predators. I can't remember which one, but he has not directed an Alien what or did an AVP. A- what did Anderson He did the first AVP. So Giger obviously made the design of the Alien and a lot of the atmosphere from the Alien films and Prometheus as well. Which of these films did Giger not create artwork for? A, Mimic. B, Species, C, Poltergeist 2, or D, Future Kill? Poltergeist 2, final answer. Sure. (laughs) Incorrect. It is Mimic. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Is Mimic a mimicry of his art? No, it's a Guillermo del Toro film. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would have answered that then. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Here's your challenge. So, John, I know you love Rotten Tomatoes, so in honor of you, I'll (laughs) list Ridley Scott's 10 lowest rated films. I will tell you, Prometheus Uh, is not on here. Of course. It's it's fresh. 65% or something like that. It's like 73. I was surprised because I, I just feel like the internet has ravaged this movie, or Aliens fans, I thought, you know. Alien fans. Yeah, but like it, how but... much are Alien diehard fans? How much do they make up of the diaspora no. film going audiences? No, but tip it, it's interesting when there's a movie that sort of gets coded in, in your memory as, as having been negatively received, but it is not rotten. Hmm. You know, uh, got each uh, Exodus. Yes. Which can I just say it's, Exodus is a good lesson, and don't be excited about other movies when you're in another movie. Because I watched Noah, right. and I liked it. We all we were there. You were we watched it together, mm-hmm. and I liked it. But I I remember coming out. And I said the biggest thing for me is I'm super excited for Exodus. Yep. And then I did not. I couldn't get. I did not make it through ten minutes of that movie. Yeah, it's really bad. But I think it also fits in with like Prometheus of like his kind of struggle with faith and like what does that mean? And like same with like Kingdom of Heaven as well, where it's all just this wrestling bit because like his brother dies right after this and then he makes the counselor and then he makes Exodus. And like, yeah, I, I have this whole theory behind it and kind of the treatment of God in that film. Um, due to, you can't do an adaptation of Exodus and be like, does God exist in this? That's just no, it's not, it's not the existence right, it's of like, God. It's the temperament of God. Yeah. Well, that was the thing that bothered me though, is like, like there was no burning bush. Like he was mm-hmm. just like doing super like, ambiguity on everything it's like but you you're doing this fantastic stuff like why are you he's he's like afraid of depicting miraculous things i think that and it's crazy whitewashed and all of the action scenes are very lackluster obviously and everything about it is bad too yeah yeah it was just not compelling um sorry 
little tangent. No, no, no. Yeah, uh, Exodus. The Counselor. Yep. Alien Covenant? Yep. Um, Travis, there's one that we watched for one of our... Or, I don't know if you watched it, but one of the ones that was assigned to us in a film class. Not because of the quality of the <laughs> film, but because of how he filmed it. Or well, I should Ro- say at, at what time period, or at what time he filmed it. Robin Hood. Robin Hood is on here. That is not the one. I have no idea. Did, I, it has Russell Crowe in it. Probably was not paying attention. To, it has what? Russell Crowe in it. Did he watch? Did he do uh, fourteen ninety two Conquest That's of Paradise? One. Yep. Okay. Great soundtrack by Evangelist. <laughs> I I'm out of ideas. I have not. There's gone a Tom Cruise film on here. That far down the Ridley Scott rabbit hole. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I thought. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, Travis, the film is about wine. I think we might have been in different classes for this. It was in the. It was in our film theory and criticism class, or no, our cinematography oh. class. Sommelier. I think we had that separately. I think I was a different. I class. would be surprised if he took it out of the I, there, but I don't remember. <laughs> There's one of these that is a little bit iffy because it was ranked a lot lower, and then now it's kind of gotten a bit of a resurgence. That's the Tom Cruise one. I've kind of gone through my ones that he did that are not well regarded. Actually, uh, there's one with okay. Leonardo DiCaprio. Is Blade Runner nope. on this? No. Nope. Okay. Because is it like the theatrical version? Okay. Um, there's a film with Demi Moore in it. The ti- This is probably going to confuse the crap out of you, John. The title of it is very similar to the title of a classic animated tv show slash toy line she man no wait no gij yes <laughs> is that him i didn't know that okay uh, everything else is just good stuff oh kingdom heaven kingdom heaven nope it's not on here okay the tom cruise one also has uh <laughs> tim curry playing satan and Mia Sarah, what? isn't it? Dude, I have no earthly clue. I I don't know any bad like I've gone through the bad ones that I can think of. Leonardo DiCaprio one also has Russell Crowe and Mark Strong and Oscar Isaac in it. It's like a film about the CIA and Jordan. I I can't think of the name of it. Do you want me to just give you the rest of them? Willow? No. No, no, what what else in the two thousands? What are some of the movies? That's the two thousands is the wine one with Russell Crowe, and the wine one. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> and the CIA one with Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe. And then the other one from the eighties has Michael Douglas in it. Oh wait, is that the one in France? Yes, the Russell Crowe one. What is that called? Southern France. It's and mostly he's got shot a tennis at court. Hour. That's the reason why we had to watch it for class. Oh, yeah. There's there's no other good movies that they could use as an example right. of that, huh? Not like Days of Heaven. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but I know exactly the movie you're talking about. Do you want me to just give you them? No, not yet. <laughs> I won't give up. What's? Huh? I'm giving up. <laughs> okay, fine. We give up. We give up. Okay. 
The wine one is a good year. The okay. I wouldn't have thought of that. Michael Douglas one is Black Rain. The Tom Cruise one is Legend. And the um, Leonardo DiCaprio one is Body of Lies. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're, they're ones that are often forgotten. So it's it's funny because I feel like there's like the really interesting ones of his that are like lower rated, like Legend and 1492. And, and then you just kind of have one where Russell Crowe's in France drinking wine. <laughs> yeah, I feel like him and Michael Moore are, you know, like they, Michael Mann and him mm. both um, sort of are the, the kings of like, it's like the extreme a, or super a, normal. Yeah, yeah. Make a lot of movies and a lot of hits, but a lot of you know, it's a lot of forgettable duds that you can't even remember that they made. You know, mm-hmm. made them. It's funny because I am very interested in just about every Ridley Scott film, unless if it's based in normalcy. Like whenever I see that, like all the money in the world, I have like zero desire to watch that movie. Like I probably will at some point. I've heard it's like good, but. That's not normalcy. It's that's the richest man in the world. It's the Gettys. I see you're from California, so you think the Gettys are normal. No, it's like I either one is like <laughs> high fantasy or high sci-fi or like sure. medieval biographical film. That's what I want from him. Or like crime yeah. slash thrillers. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Raised by it. Wolves. If you've seen that, that is like incredible. It's like the alien movie or the sci-fi movie that I've been wanting from him for years. It's incredible. The show? The show, Raised by Wolves, is amazing. John, you would love Raised by Wolves. Uh, I feel like it's the same message as this movie. I mean, it's, you know, it tackles a lot of that stuff, but it gives time for it. Tackles. Tackles like a linebacker. I'm I'm only like halfway through it, so I can't, can't like, say anything towards it yet. But, yes, we should end this episode. Don't spoil I the can ending. Spoil the ending. Don't spoil there the is ending. no God, oh, okay. Creed. That's that's the ending of that show. <laughs> that's that's his message at the end of that one. Oh man. Okay. Well, I think that wraps us up for this episode. <laughs> Travis, thanks so much for being on this strange episode. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I it was really fun to talk about Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was a good time. And uh, the next film that we are covering is Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York. A kind of mixed film in his wide list of movies that he's made you know there's a lot of like controversial ones but i feel like this is kind of right in that peak point where he's just making hit after hit after hit and it's like right before he's like winning the oscar but this is kind of one where people are like appreciate it but are like yeah it's all right you know and kind of kind of panned over it but we'll fight for it As always, make sure to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and on YouTube as well. You can find us at Rules of the Frame. That's also where you can contact us as well, or if you want to send us an email, that'd be great too. If you have a point that you want to make, a point that we made that you want to contest, or if you have a film to recommend for us, then might as well send it in because we love hearing from you guys, and who knows, we might cover it. we got to say thanks to John for the use of the graphic and to Caden Reed, Ethan Stafford, and Luke Hogan for the use of the theme song and the outro. This has been Film Analysis for a Modern Audience. Mm